Does God give power to his people? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So Brian, today we are looking at um, a rather significant portion of scripture. Um, We're highlighting a couple of key aspects of it and really focusing in on on a more of a later portion of it, but we're, we're exploring 1 Kings 19 through 2 Kings 2. Um, so, listeners, as you can imagine, we're not going to even attempt to read the whole thing because that will be the entire show. Um, but maybe the content would be a little yeah, bit... And somebody would say, hey, that's an improvement. Yeah, there we go. All right. But uh, but in this passage, what we see is, is we start to see the transition in Elijah's ministry. We we had his chief hallmark moment at, uh, at the end of 18, beginning of 19, uh, previously, and we talked about that in last in last week's episode. Uh, so we're not going to revisit all of that here today. If you want to, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, go back and listen to that episode. Hit pause now. Go back and then come back. That's right. That's right. So, but um, but as we look at this passage, there are a few key things that are happening. And so, Brian, why don't you lead us off on that? Yeah, as you said, this is this is an important passage, and it seems like we say that all the time. But we have biblical foundation to say that because all of Scripture is inspired and profitable. Uh, but again, this is this is another one that we call an important one because it is the shift from Elijah's ministry to Elisha's ministry. And let me pause right here and say, anybody who's teaching this passage, you're going to get tripped up on those two names. We're probably going to get tripped up on them it in, could in this podcast. So just take your time. Uh, if it's me, I'm I'm pleading for mercy for my group before I even begin, mm-hmm. um, and just realizing, you know, for some reason God saw fit to have these two prophets with such similar names. So we're looking at this transition from Elijah to Elisha, um, and we're going to see uh, this amazing encounter where Elisha, the new prophet, basically just asks and says, "Hey, if I'm going to do this, here, here's what I want slash need." I want slash need the same power that God gave you. Will you promise me to have that power? And we'll see Elijah respond to that, and and, and God provides. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sets up Elijah for his ministry. Now, uh, we don't really get into this in depth next session. We hit a little bit. But, man, you read the next few chapters, and Elijah does some amazing things. Mm-hmm. We think Elijah in that moment on Carmel calling down fire you look at Elisha, and, and you read Elisha's ministry, and then you open up to the Gospels and look at Jesus' ministry, and it's fascinating oh, how, yeah. they, how they line up. Absolutely, and we will get there next episode, actually, so we're going to talk about yeah, a, whole talk a little bit about it. Yeah. That's right. That's uh, what we call a teaser, <laughs> so uh, so make sure you're subscribed so that you get that episode as well. Um, but, but, Brian, you made a good point. Um, El- Elisha did something that was rather bold of him going to Elijah and saying, I want um, I want a, a double portion or two shares of your your spirit, your power um, so that he could continue on in this mission. Um, and all the way along as as Elijah is walking to um, to the place where God is going to take him at Bethel, People keep coming up to Elisha and saying, 
You, you know that your master's leaving you today, right? You know he's going away. And the whole time, he's like, yeah, I know, be quiet. You know, it, it's amazing that uh, people have not changed in the last couple thousand years. That seems like something church people do today. Mm. Hey, you, you know your, your pastor's resigning today, don't you? This is the last Sunday, you know that, right? You just wonder, what, what, were, what, was, what were the yeah. thoughts of the people behind that? I know, I'm, it's, it's a fascinating thing. So, but as we, as, we look at this, as we look at this passage, particularly as we focus on, the, um, on that moment in 2 Kings 2 where they arrive at, they arrive at Bethel, they, they've... Uh, Elijah and Elisha have crossed the Jordan River. Um, Elijah has actually um, performed a miracle and allowed it so that they can cross on dry ground, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a significant... Sounds familiar. It does, doesn't it? It happens a few times. It does. It does. More than a few. But um, With with another prophet that we can think of in his uh, successor. Yeah, we'll get there. And we'll get there. We'll get there. That's another tease. That's right, um, but uh, but they go across on dry ground. They, um, you know, he's there and he says, "As long as you can see," me, and he then Elijah makes the the promise: "If you can see me, if you don't stop looking at me when I go, then you get the thing you asked for." And um, and so they go, and he. Um, he sees him taken up in this whirlwind, and it's and it's just incredible. But as we're as we're thinking about this passage, um, there are a few questions that naturally uh, come out of our reading of it. Um, one of those actually has to do with this thing that we've mentioned a couple of times now, which is this idea of Elisha asking for um, a double portion or two shares of his spirit, as the CSB says. What does that mean? Yeah, this is a little bit uh, uh, of an unclear um, verse. Uh, you read different commentaries, and they're, and they're not quite sure of what is meant here. But it seems like the consensus would be that, that he is thinking back to the family unit where you know the oldest son was entitled to a double portion of, mm-hmm. of the family inheritance. And that marked that oldest son as the successing the leader of the family. So if the father died, then the oldest son inherits two shares and he becomes the patriarch, if you will, of the family. Mm-hmm. So it seems like what Elisha is doing here is he's asking for that in that same light, that he's asking to be recognized as the succeeding leader of, of the prophets, that mm-hmm. he, he gets that position of, of authority. Yeah, yeah. And that certainly falls in line with how he was called into ministry in the first place. He was named as his as his successor by Elijah putting his his mantle or his cloak on on him, yeah. um, and and then you know sacrifices oxes oxen and all this kind of stuff, um, and left everything behind, which is just wild to think about. That it's like there is this expectation that comes in Scripture that when you are called to something. You leave everything and you go and you do this. And I think that's actually another one of those things that um, really we should be thinking about as we, as we read and study this passage is what does that kind of calling look on, yeah. on for each one of our lives, really? And I mean, that's more of an application-oriented question, but are we prepared to give up everything? Again, sounds kind of familiar because someone else in the Bible, perhaps, said something like that. I remember reading that somewhere. 
That's right. About sacrificing everything, picking up a cross, and following. I, that yeah. seems familiar. Denying as well. yourself. Denying yourself. All kinds count of the things. Cost. Yeah, yeah. So. And that's what Elisha's doing here. So again, you know, we might read that and and some of us may feel, well, that was a little presumptuous of of Elisha to ask this. Maybe. Uh, I mean, because... I don't don't know if it is. I mean, I I think also this double spirit. So he could have asked more directly. Uh, He could have... The language could have been different and still conveyed this idea of the oldest son. Yeah. The spirit there seems to be this awareness that he needs God's power. Yes. There's this, it's, I don't think it's as simple as, hey, I want to be known as the leader. Right. You recognize me as the leader so I can, you know. I think there's also this, this keen awareness that what I'm about to, what you're calling on, what God has called on me to do, um, I cannot do in my own power. I've seen what you have done, Elijah. And I need that. I need that. And more of and it. And more. And, and I, I, I think, you know, part of me recoils the way I'm wired. It's like, ah, you know. But then part of me says, no, that's that's right and fitting. Here's a man who wants to serve God faithfully, and he understands he can only do it in God's power. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think we um, I don't think we need to be critical of Elisha here. Oh, gosh, no. I, I think we can recognize the goodness of what he asked for. And 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 do we do that? Um, I know I'm guilty too often of of trying to serve my own power. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is a that's a tendency. I mean, certainly in our cultural context, we are we have a predisposition toward really just working out all things under our own steam, under our own power. Especially in the Western church. Absolutely. Pulling ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps, as if you will. And that is just deadly for all of us. And so we need to avoid that. We need to be careful of that. Um, one of the other questions that we see in this passage um, and is a good one for us to wrestle with um, and is really this question of, so why didn't Elijah die? He was taken an whirlwind. That's not right. common. Right, exactly. I mean, this is one of those things that's super important. And and this question is connected to our, our next one. So um, we do, but we do want to answer this here. And it's, and it's also in, in our other ones as well. But... Um, What's important here is there's a couple of things to note. One is is that Eli- this event makes Elijah one of only two people recorded in Scripture who did not die. There's Elijah and there's Enoch back in Genesis. Yep. That's it. If you read the genealogy in Genesis 5, you'll see that cadence. Yes. So-and-so lived so many years, had a son named such-and-such, and then he died. Yep. The next person lived so-and-so, yeah. and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, yeah. and then you get the Enoch. And it says, he walked with God, and he w- he was, then he was not, yeah. because God took him. <laughs> and it's this very strange language yeah. that's there. Well, I, and I think, I my guess is that you have two different nuances of why these two men did not die, mm-hmm. but I think they're connected together indirectly. Yeah. I think Enoch in Genesis 5 is there because if you look at Genesis 3, 4, 5 into 6, it's this exclamation point of God being true of his promise and his warning in Genesis 1 and 2 that if they, if Adam and Eve rebelled, they would die. Mm-hmm. And when you read Genesis 3, the judgment, you see them eat of the fruit, you would expect Eve bit the fruit and then dropped dead. 
kind of like Ananias and Sapphira yeah. in, in the book of Acts. Yeah. But you see them still living. And so I think what you, you see there is this, this repetition of death, 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 time and time again in those early chapters because God is saying, no, I was true. Mm-hmm. That genealogy is an exclamation point on that. Yeah. Death, death, death. But then you get Enoch, which I believe is God's way of saying, but yet there's grace. Mm-hmm. There's a chance to escape death through me and what I will do. Mm-hmm. So, and that that message of grace runs through those early chapters as yeah. well. So, I think there Enoch stands out, and he and God wants us to say, "Wait a minute, there's there's an escape of death." Here, I think Elijah does not die because God wants him to stand out as well, just in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. As, as a prophet, we we think Elijah. I mean, Carmel was really impressive, but you you think about him not dying, that really elevates him in our awareness, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's harder for him to kind of drift into the background of, of secondary or tertiary biblical characters. Yeah. He, he raises up because he did not die. Yeah. And so I think God wants us to understand there's something critical about Elijah here because it's going to carry over to what we're going to talk about soon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, is that kind of what you... Were yeah. you land with with that? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, definitely, it is marking him as as someone extraordinary, someone not um, not like any other prophet. The only one that was close in terms of what he did and the power of God that he exhibited was Moses. Yeah, and we're going to see. There's Elijah, and Elisha, mm-hmm. point back to Moses. And, and Joshua. Joshua quite a bit, and they're going to point us ahead to John and Jesus. That's right. That's right. So, they, they, so they're right in the middle here. Yeah. All right. But there's one other question before we jump into that that we should. I'm um, just all about teasing today. Oh, I know. You're you're doing a great job of it. I'm so. just keeping us moving. Keeping us moving. That's right. That's right. Now, let's speaking of moving. Why don't we see? God working like this? This is a natural question that we're always going to be asking because we're experiential creatures. Yes. We we are always looking back. And we've talked about this a little bit in, in previous episodes, but it bears repeating again. And it's a subject that's going to come up frequently, particularly as we study the Old Testament. It's less frequent in the Gospels, because it's Jesus who's doing all of these miraculous things, we start, we start asking those questions of ourselves again when we get into Acts and, and particularly how the early church was being formed yeah. and the Acts of the Apostles and all this kind of stuff. But there is this tendency to say, well, God was doing these miraculous deeds through his through his people through specific people at certain times um, and it can create and we can feel like there is this disconnect um, and something we've talked about previously is really we have to be careful in in how we think about this um, which is really um, in in a twofold way one is is that we are not, like it, to the way that scripture is recorded, we're getting a truncated view. We always have to remember that there's sometimes decades or even centuries between pages. And really, the miracles occur in pockets. Yes. And again, it seems, and I think that's what you're trying to get to. It yeah. seems like it's all throughout scripture, but if you think about it, it's, it's Moses, that time frame, then it's here, mm-hmm. the, the uh, Elijah and Elisha, and then it's Jesus and the apostles and Acts. 
Mm-hmm. Now there's some scattered throughout. Yeah, of course, absolutely. But those are when you think of all the miracles. Think about the main it's miracles. Predominantly it's predominantly there. Pockets of yeah. time. Yep. Um, and so we have to be con- we have to be aware of that. At the same time, we also have to be careful not to confuse can with must. So just because God can do and does do whatever He wants. It doesn't mean that because he has done something in one way in the past that he is always going to do that same thing in the same way with every with every believer in every era. Um, he's not obligated to. He's do not that, obligated yeah. to. Now there he's are obligated certain... to act within his character. Correct. And he is completely within his character to perform a miracle through a a human or not to. Right. And there's a lot of debate about how this happens and do miracles still happen today within the the church? That is an in-house discussion. It's, you know, to be transparent, I I wrestle with this some. It's it's Mm -hmm. easy for me to kind of lean toward miracles not happening through people today. I haven't not that I know of. I have not seen one myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I know I have a myopic view. I hear reports of things that happen in other parts of the world especially. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be pretty foolish of me and pretty arrogant of me to, to be definitive and say, oh, no, no, no. What I understand here is true of God. So to me, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be kind of the... the I'm going to be just sitting on the fence on this one. Well, and, and I think that there's a... I think there that is a responsible approach. I mean, basically to say, I ultimately your answer should be, God's going to do what God's yeah. going to do. God can do whatever he wants. And, um, you know, in that particular debate, the wisest voices on both sides of it ha- have said that repeatedly is, I think this or I think that, but God's going to do what God's going to do. And that's going to be for our good. So, so that's an important. So another area we just need to be gracious with. One absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so, moving on, we get to finally address one of those things that we've been teasing for most of this episode, which is how does this passage point us to Jesus? And so much of that comes in this relationship between Elijah and Elisha, um, but not just with how they relate. Going forward, but also how they relate backwards. Yeah, let me before we dive into this, let me just give a tip. If you are getting ready to teach this to a group and you have a dry erase board or a flip chart or something, this would be a really good time to grab that marker and 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 draw or illustrate on the board Elijah and Elisha in the middle, Moses and Joshua toward the left, Jesus, John and Jesus to the right, mm-hmm. and maybe have a chart or something showing comparisons that we're going to share a few of them yeah um, or illustrate it some way because a lot of people are visual learners this this is a great picture opportunity yeah. oh yeah absolutely and it again it gives you an opportunity to show um, no matter how old the people you are that are that you're teaching whether they're adults whether they're teenagers whether they're elementary age kids or even preschoolers to be able to show them how the Bible is ultimately yeah. one big story. Um, and that's one of those things that we can't miss and we can't neglect these opportunities that ultimately that God gives us to be able to, to, to do this through, as we study his word carefully. Um, and so 
when we think about Elijah and Elisha and, their, and the similarities between them and Moses and Joshua, um, you got to think both of them crossing over water over dry, dry ground. Uh, over dry ground. The both mentors, um, Elijah and Moses, actually die outside of their promised land. Elijah doesn't die; he's taken. But well, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, I just what want I mean. to be clear. Yes, yes. Thank you. They thank both you. leave. They both they depart both, this they world. They both depart. Um, outside of the promised land that and they and both of their successors carry on with great and yes. carry on the mission with great power um, and with God's authority and that's just a little bit of a taste of that do you have any any more that you no, want to I think add those are the good succinct list of those yeah but then we get to Elijah and John the Baptist yeah so here we have this clear connection um, that Elijah is handing off a mantle to Elisha, and Elisha's asking for a double portion to do even greater works. Mm-hmm. As John, the prophet, I must decrease so that he might increase, mm-hmm. does something similar. He hands off his ministry to Jesus, who will do, of course, or did greater works. Remember where John's uh, disciples were, were kind of getting upset because they saw Jesus and his disciples doing good things, and, and John's like, no, no, this is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm the... I'm the best man at the wedding. He's the groom. He gets all the attention. This is how it's designed. So you have a similarity there. Um, and of course, you have this idea that that uh, we read in, in Malachi and so forth that, that the forerunner would precede mm-hmm. the Messiah's coming. Of course, one like Elijah, one in the way of Elijah. Yeah. Now, this is another uh, rabbit trail. Some believe it was actually, you know, Elijah because he didn't die. But sure. It's a different rabbit trail. Right. And um, there's different rabbit trails going even farther down even the road, farther, too. Yes, there is. Yeah. Um, so you have that element as well. And then you also have the two people who were at the Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus, basically, he's revealed in his glory. And who were there? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. So you see these two tied together so much with the ministry of John and, of course, the ministry of Jesus. Um, and again, you ha- you have this this recurring message going throughout all of these men's ministries of repentance, mm-hmm. uh, calling on the people to repent. Elijah and Elisha, of course, repent from this idolatry mm-hmm. where we are, turn back to God. Uh, John the Baptist, the message that he led with was repent for the kingdom is at hand. Yep. And of course, the first recorded words we have from Jesus' ministry are repent for the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. So you have this same kind of idea. So again, I think if you if you took and charted this or illustrated this on a board mm-hmm. to really drive this home to whoever you're, you're teaching and leading, it would really be powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, one thing that we can't forget is, is that just like how in the transfiguration, Jesus shows himself to be the greater of, of all. Um, he's the one that the that Moses and Elijah are attending to. He is the he is the one that they look to as their hope. Um, one of the things that we need to remember in Jesus's ministry is he goes a step farther than any prophet um, does by not simply calling people to repentance, but by bearing the penalty for their sin um, so that they can be reconciled to the Father. And that is such a powerful piece of Jesus's ministry. It is the essential piece of Jesus's ministry, um, the, the piece without which we have no gospel yeah. and we have no hope. So we, we can't ignore that 
ever, and we yeah. need to joyfully embrace it. And that's what these three, we, we can't make the mistake of thinking these three pairs are equal. Mm-hmm. They're not, of course. They all build to Jesus. And one can argue it, it's this, this progression yeah. Um, because as great as Moses and Joshua were, well, their primary role was to bring the people back into the land. Mm-hmm. Then they're in the land, and Elijah and Elisha are trying to get them, the people right in the land. And then you get to John and Jesus, where they're giving the solution, as you said, that Jesus is the answer. He's yeah. the Messiah in the land. So it's this, this progression, if you will, of, of weightiness of what they're doing, driving toward Jesus, of course, which yeah. is... Which is the most important? Yeah, Who is absolutely. The most important? All right, so Brian, let's think about this um, this passage that we're studying, and that we've been talking about at length. We've done a little bit of this already, but um, let's think about this from how we would be. Um, encouraging someone who is leading, um, leading, say, in a small group or in their student ministry or in their kids' ministry, or even someone who's just looking at this book of the Bible for their own personal growth and enrichment, which is something that we can, we should not ever neglect. Um, what additional guidance can we offer in working through this passage? Well, the first one is kind of what, don't do what we have done in, in this podcast to a degree, and that is allow ourselves to chase some rabbits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's part of what we're here for. We, we're we about those rabbits. We want to try to give a fuller, broader picture and, and explore some issues. And, and that's, that's kind of why we do this to a degree. Mm-hmm. But when you only have a limited amount of time with your group, 40 minutes, 30 minutes sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, that, that each each tick of that clock is precious. Yes. So there are several things in this passage that will allow you to chase rabbits, such as that we talked about. What, is it, what does that double portion mean? What does that yes. spirit mean? What, what, uh, why Eli- didn't Elijah yeah, die? Why did he die? And, now, again, yep. I'm not saying don't entertain questions or don't deal with these things. But man, I would not camp out on these. These no. are important, but they're not as important as some of the bigger truths, the beautiful truths in this. Yes. So I would um, I would encourage our, our leaders, especially of adult classes and student classes where this may happen more and members may want to continue chasing down. Usually kids will ask a question, you give them an answer, and they move on. Yeah. So adults and students especially just try to, in a loving way, bring it back and say, hey, these are great questions, but we got a lot more here. Let's keep pressing yeah. on and stay on focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and one of the other things that we want to always be doing as we're trying to, as we are trying to lead others through this, through this text is to remind them of this important point, which is that God does empower us for mission yeah. and that the same power that resided in Elijah and Elisha, the power that was on display fully in Jesus that um, we see we see all throughout scripture, that same power is the one that God gives us by faith in Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit who lives in us when, when, we, when we believe in him. Um, that is an important thing for us to remember is that we're not uh, we're not all sitting here as you know junior varsity Christians who aren't as important and powerful and you know able to do ministry as some other guy, um, whether it's one of these char- one of these people from Scripture or um, some well-known you know pastor, pastor missionary writer, yeah. missionary whatever. Um, we we all have the same spirit, which means we all have the same power, which means because we're all on the same mission. 
we're all here to sh- to point people to Jesus. Yeah. And their hope in him. Yeah, and, and I said a few minutes ago, I've never seen a miracle. And I misspoke. I, I, I've seen miracles and I experience it all the time because the fact that God brings life to those who are dead is miraculous. And so I am a miracle. You are a miracle. Um, and we all have been invited in to be part of this mission, to be part of seeing God work this miracle out day by day as people repent of their sin, turn to Christ and trust in Him, and, and become new creatures, be given new life, and for them then to do that. So while we may yearn for the, uh, the excitement of a whirlwind, and things like that, and, and fire coming down from heaven, um, I, I think we need to recognize we live in a world not devoid of miracles. They happen all around us in, in people coming to Christ. Yeah. And, and, and if there's any better miracle, then I'll take that over fire from heaven any day. Absolutely. All right, Brian, that's a good place for us to, to leave this discussion on today. Thanks for chatting about, about this passage with me, and thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Thank you.